The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Who sticks up for you when you're being bullied? Who do you call out for when you need someone to defend you? Now, I get it. Those of you listening, there's, a, there's probably two different groups. There's some of you who feel like victims. And right now you're like, man, I wish someone would come to my defense. And then there's a whole other group. You, you feel pretty tough. You, you feel like you're the one others call on when they need someone to defend them. I think that's why uh, there's always like at least once a year, there's a, one of those videos that goes viral uh, because it really gets to the heart of each of our lives. And here, here, I mean, you're thinking there's a lot of videos that go viral, but there's one particular group that really I always get a kick out of. I always like watch and go, yeah, that's right. It's when somebody's being bullied and maybe it's the one being picked on that finally has enough and snaps and finally sticks up for themselves, or there's some passerby that turns hero. And, and so I saw, you know, there's one last year, this um, the story of this little kid who's just kind of scrawny. The video shot in Australia, it's in a school, and the little scrawny kid is calling names of this bigger kid, and just kind of making fun of him and mocking him and kept sucker punching him. And finally, this big kid has enough picks the little guy up, turns him upside down, and body slams him. And if you're anything like me, you're watching, you're like, good. And there was another one just, just recently got shot, and, uh, meaning the video was shot and, and, and put out there. Um, this kid beating up a blind kid in his school. Keeps punching him in the face. And fi- out of nowhere, you see a fist come flying and, and knock the kid out that was punching the blind kid. And if I'm I the only one that's just like, good. I'm good for you. So, but, but my favorite, this one's old and who knows, it might even be a spoof, but it's still my all-time favorite. That's the way it's supposed to be. And we all, I mean, kind of like universally, we agree. And there's a reason for that. Because there's this fundamental drive inside of us, not just for justice, but that the bullies should be put in their place. And for many of you, you're like, yeah, man. And others of you, you're like, yeah, I wish someone would put the bullies in my life in their place. And whether you're the one that others call on or today you feel like a victim and you need someone to stick up for you, my experience, every one of us have something bullying us. Maybe for you, your bully is obvious, it's someone. It's a coworker or a colleague or a classmate that uh, just incessantly is annoying you, picking on you, bothering you, stealing credit for you. Maybe they got their promotion instead of you. Maybe it's a classmate that sits sits next to you just is constantly mocking and saying things they shouldn't say and is just eroding at your self-confidence, your self-esteem. You leave those moments feeling beat down and bruised. For others of you, your bully isn't quite so obvious. It's a financial crisis that started a while ago and it just keeps compounding. Maybe for you, it's a phone call you got a while ago that has become a disaster in your life. It's, maybe it's a diagnosis or you found out some news from someone far away. Maybe it's a family situation that just keeps escalating out of control. And it's not so much the people that are the bullies, it's the crisis that you can't fix that's bullying you. It's the bullying in your mind. Maybe it's your emotions. 
that bully you. Maybe it's just your thinking going out of control. What I know is that every one of us have bullies that taunt us and intimidate us, leaving us powerless, weak, and insecure. And some, you walk around like a victim. Others, you compensate for being bullied by becoming a bully. Or you walk around macho and tough, trying to take control of any and every situation, all to make up for the fact that you have the bully threatening you. And so, I'm just gonna bring you, let, let's soften the mood for a little bit, and let's talk about a nation that felt bullied, all right? Let's, let's get this off of us, and let's talk about history. So I'm gonna bring you back 2,700 years to a nation that has gone through a civil war, and the Assyrian world power, power, the big bully of the time, had wiped out the nation of Israel, and what remained was the nation of Judah. And Assyria now, after destroying Israel and taking many of its people into exile, is now coming against the nation of Judah. But not just coming against it, now there are other nations that have allied together and they're ganging up against the nation of Judah. Worse, Judah has a brand new king who's young and inexperienced, who maybe doesn't quite know how to stand up for his people and exact justice against their enemies. In the middle of that, there is this pastor prophet, a prophet named Isaiah, whose job is to tell people what God is saying and foretell what God is going to do. And Isaiah begins to preach and encourage the nation in the middle of this crisis of wars come, or armies coming as bullies against the nation. In the middle of that, Isaiah preaches, and we have the recording of his preaching because later in his life, he went back, he took all of his sermons, all of his telling and foretelling what God was saying and doing, and he put them into a book. We have access to that book called Isaiah. Isaiah is in the Old Testament of the Bible, and he wrote this to a nation facing the threats of war against many nations. He said, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. You feel in great distress. Your world feels gloomy. You've got bullies, bullies haunting you and threatening you and intimidating you. So how did God speak through Isaiah that he was going to rescue a nation out of their distress? This is what he says. In verse five and six of Isaiah chapter nine, he says, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. He's ta- it's kind of like a, a war taunt. He says, you see all those enemy soldiers? Here's what I'm gonna do to them. I'm gonna collect all their clothes. I'm gonna burn them in a fire. Those, of, those that came against you, their boots, I'm gonna destroy them. How? So far, some of you are like, I like this. This is like a Braveheart book. This is awesome. This is good. No, I'm the only one. I mean, this is really good. All right, so, but how is God gonna do it? This is the very next verse, right? He goes like this. He goes, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Here's how. For, un, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. 
Now, when you read it, you might have missed it. Maybe you've never read this. Maybe as you're reading along, you kind of missed the, the thunder of this moment. God is saying, look, you're in distress. You got a bully taunting you. You got people intimidating you. You got entire armies coming against you. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna gather up those nations. I'm gonna take those armies and I'm gonna wipe them out. You know how I'm gonna do it? I'm gonna send a child. I'm gonna send my son. And my son, he is gonna be a wonderful counselor, but he's also going to be mighty God. I know, maybe you're not quite feeling what I'm feeling because in your mind, Christmas, you know, is lights and decorations and pretty trees and beautiful choruses and carols and cookies and presents. And when you think of the Jesus of Christmas, you think of Jesus all meek and mild, laying in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn, you think of silent night, holy night, Jesus, no crying he made, even though the cows woke him up, right? right? You, it's hard to think the same Jesus of Christmas, the prophet wrote that he would be mighty God and he would show up in time and space riding on the heavens like a horse with lightning in his hands and fire in his eyes. And the reason for the metaphors is that this prophet wants to capture the attention of a people feeling bullied and say, here's what I want you to know. God is aware and God is on the scene and God will stick up for you. In fact, that now transcends time. You can take something that was written 2,700 years ago and bring it right into the present where you feel bullied for this reason. Here is how this applies to our life. Here is how you can take a promise of God from 2,700 years ago written to a nation facing war and say, man, that matters today. Here's how. Because we are defended by an awesome God. In fact, I would encourage you as you're taking notes to write this down in your program, in your study guide, on, on your, um, you know, in a smartphone or tablet. By the way, I wanna welcome all of you that are with us, including those uh, watching online and via video. We are excited that you're with us right now. And I encourage all of you to take a moment and I want you to write this down. We are defended by an awesome God. A God who sticks up for the weak and the poor, the broken and the bullied. The challenge that you and I face is that we don't just have bullies in our own mind or bullies at work or in a classroom. It's not just the bullies that we see on the news or in the media. There is a far greater bully that threatens and intimidates every one of us. This bully has destroyed marriages and homes, has sent people spiraling wildly out of control. This bully destroys individuals and nations alike. This bully has torn people's lives apart. The bully is inside every one of us. It's an inner enemy called sin. Sin, a term that biblical authors use to describe the inner bully 
that drives every one of our lives against God and toward our own destruction. That's right. You have an enemy that lives inside of you. I have an enemy living inside of me that is bullying my thinking, bullying my emotions, bullying my decision-making, bullying me into constantly doing the very thing that would hurt me and hurt others. This bully of sin is what is at work in every one of our lives, pushing us away from God and toward our own, what we think is good, what we think is our own interest, but actually leads toward our own ruin. This bully wreaks havoc in our lives, compelling us to do things that hurt others. The worst part of this bullying that comes from sin is that it cuts us off from relationship with God and the ultimate victory of the bully is that the sin drives us into ultimate eternal destruction where we are cut off from God forever in eternal suffering. And God looked down on a nation at war facing a bully of enemies. God looked down on the bully of sin in our lives and he showed up on the scene. And in fact, Isaiah He experienced this personally. Isaiah, in his own life, he wrote wrote telling the story about how one day he was personally feeling defeated. And God showed up. And this moment changed everything in his life. So let, let me read this to you. It's found in just a few chapters earlier in Isaiah chapter six. He's writing about his own personal experience. He said this, in the year that King Uzziah died, And the reason this is important is, you know, Uzziah was the great king, a godly king, a good man. Who's going to take over is Ahaz, who's who's also going to face the great threats of many nations. And in this moment, Isaiah saw it coming. He knew that that's what was going to happen. And so when he writes about it, he said, the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He said, I had a vision. He was seated on a throne, high and exalted, And the train of his robe, meaning the the flow of his robe, uh, when when a bride is walking down the aisle and she's got the long part of her dress, that's the train, right? So he's saying, God's robe like a train. It filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, like angels, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. They were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's the same term he uses just jumping ahead where he says, in his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. The whole earth is filled with his glory with wonder and awe of who God is. And the sound of their voices, at the sound of their voices, the doorsteps and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. So Isaiah in this moment, he's having this vision where in the, in the midst of being bullied, in the midst of their king dying and knowing that nations were to come against them, he has this vision of God, mighty God. And then this vision, he's, he sees God. And he's like, man, the, and the whole room was filled just with his clothing. And it was overwhelming. It was shining with glory. And I was awed by it. And these angels were flying and they were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And just the singing of the angels shook the whole building. And what was Isaiah's response? 
when he had this vision, just a vision of God, he said, woe to me. I cried out, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Here is what Isaiah does. He goes, I had all these, I had these fears of these enemies that were coming against our nation. We just lost our good king. And now we have the uncertainty of a new king coming in. My whole world is falling apart. And in that moment, I also saw the Lord. But when I saw the Lord, all of my other worries vanished. Because compared to the wonder of God, my worries were minuscule and small. But when I saw God, I became overwhelmed by my own sinfulness. I became aware of my, what's wrong inside of me. The problem isn't the enemies on the outside. The problem is the enemy inside. The problem isn't the turmoil going on around me. The t- problem is the turmoil going on inside of me. And this parallels very well to a, a man who had a vision of heaven. He had a vision of what the end of the world was like. This guy, John, he was a friend of Jesus who after Jesus died and rose again, John became a pastor and a leader and late in life he had a vision about the end of the world and in his vision, which he recorded that he called Revelation, he writes this about his experience where in his vision he saw Jesus. The same Jesus he had met throughout life and walked with and saw crucified and resurrected. Now in his vision he sees Jesus again but he sees him in a new way He writes this in Revelation chapter one, verse five, and I'm gonna skip to verse eight. He says, Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. See, when he met Jesus on earth, he saw him just as a regular man, but he knew he was God, but he's now in this vision. He goes, but now I see him. He's the king of the world. He is awesome and powerful. He's, in fact, he continues. Uh, he hears Jesus speaking to him, and Jesus says, I am the alpha, which is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. I am the first, and the omega, which is the last letter of the alphabet. So it's, he, it's like he's saying, I am the A, and I'm the Z. I'm the first, I'm the last. I'm the start, and I'm the finish. I am the introduction, I'm the conclusion of the story. He said, said the Lord God, who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. Now the reason I'm setting this up, the reason why I'm giving you this is because I'm setting the stage for you of how you and I respond like Isaiah, who when he sees God, he becomes overwhelmed by his own mess. He's aware of the bullies outside, but he also becomes acutely aware of the enemy inside. And the first and right response, in order for us to be defended by an awesome God, awe means we fear God. When Isaiah saw God, he, he was overwhelmed with the fear of God. He says, God, something's wrong inside of me, help. John, who knew Jesus, believed in Jesus, he has this vision of Jesus, but now he sees Jesus as a king and as a ruler, as the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the God who was and is and is to come, the almighty. And and then John's response in Revelation chapter one, he, he goes like this. Verse 17, he goes, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now this is where I wanna make sure you don't miss this moment because there's two ways to fear God. 
The first is we fear, as we fear God believing he is against us. Now, if you believe that God is against you and he comes riding on the heavens like a horse with lightning in his hands and fire in his eyes, he is the king above all kings, there is reason to be afraid if he is against you. That's not inappropriate. It's fair for you like Isaiah to fall on your face before God and say, woe is me, I am undone. I am a person of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. But here's the thing, Jesus Christ came to earth. He was the child born. He was the son given. He, he is wonderful counselor, mighty God. And the reason Jesus came was not so that he could come to fight against us, but so that he could pick a fight with what is bullying us and fight for us. Jesus came to earth to war against our enemies. Jesus took on the fight of our bully sin so that when he died on a cross, he took the collective consequence of sin, eternal death, he took it on himself so when he died, he died once for all, so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is freed from the grip and controlling force of sin. But he didn't stop there. No, Jesus continued to fight. He took on the battle against death itself. So that when he died, he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead, victorious over the grave. And his victory becomes our victory through faith. So that now when we believe in Jesus by faith, we do not have to fear death because we know that life doesn't end in death. Death ends in life. You are a victor over death through faith in Jesus Christ. And he didn't even stop there. He continued to fight. He went to war against eternal judgment. So that in his death and resurrection, he conquered sin. He conquered death and he conquered forever judgment so that his death became the ultimate payment for anyone who believes in him. We are set free from the curse of eternal judgment. That's quite a victory. Who sticks up for you when you're being bullied? Mighty God. Jesus Christ, who came to earth, wonderful counselor, mighty God, who when he shows up in the room, just the back of his clothing fills up the room. At even the slightest glimpse of God, the most powerful kings fall as dead men before him. And so we can fear God because we believe and recognize that he is against us. But when we believe in Jesus Christ, we know that God is for us, so now our fear transitions to a new kind of fear, which is reverence and awe. Reverence and respect. And when you reverence God, who is awesome and powerful, that, that reverence brings comfort. It brings rest, it brings hope, it brings healing. It, you have a deeper sense of security. Because we respect God, we can find security in the fact that he is def our defender. But additionally, when we fear God, it drives us away from sin. You have a similar experience to Isaiah. You come into the presence of a God who is holy, which means God's presence cannot stand anything sinful and God's presence is in you. 
If you were aware that the same God whom Isaiah meant, met, that when he saw God, the angels were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and their voices caused the whole building to shake, and that same God who is holy, holy, holy lives inside of you because his spirit is in you, that should give every one of us a sense of reverence driving us away from wrongdoing so that we fear to offend God more than we fear anything else. And that's the beauty of this. When we fear God, we don't have to fear anything else. When we fear God, we're not afraid of the issues of the world. When I talk about the fear of God, I mean a reverence and a respect. God, I don't wanna hurt you. I don't wanna do anything that would be wrong toward you. And when I do, I'm the first one to fall on my knees and say, God, forgive me. I don't want to do anything that would separate me from relationship with you. Interestingly, when I fear God, I want to please him more than I want to please anyone else. I want to love him more than I want to love anyone or anything else. When I fear God, then I can trust him and depend on him. And that leads to the next moment, which I wanna make sure you don't miss. And so let me just keep going here and lead you to the next part of this, which is that it's not enough just for me to fear God, but listen to what happens next. Isaiah, he says, woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, right? Like he's, he's got this fear of God, which you and I, when we have the right fear of God, we know God is for us. It drives us to repentance and to be forgiven of our sin. And then he continues in verse six and seven. He goes, then... One of the seraphs, one of the angels, flew to me with a live coal in his hands, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sins are atoned for. This is a picture in the ancient times of what Jesus would do to forgive us of sin and set us free so that we could be in right relationship with God. Similarly, if, if you jump ahead to the very last book of the Bible where um, the author is writing, John is writing about this moment. And, and remember what I, re I read to you in verse, uh, uh, Revelation chapter one, verse 17. I'm gonna read into 18. He says this, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But then... He placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and of Hades. And I want you to, I want you to um, capture this in your heart. When you know that you are defended by an awesome God, you, you first fear God, but then you're fascinated by God. Your worry becomes worship and your, your troubles turn your attention to a God who can transform your situation into triumph. See, when you, when you have a right relationship with God, then you are fascinated by God. You're overwhelmed by who he is and the fact that he loves you. I mean, there should be moments in your life, maybe during this Christmas season, that you look at all of the, the fanfare, all of the activity, and you go, I am overwhelmed that God Almighty would become a child to pick a fight for me, to rescue me from the bullying force of sin and death and hell. And your worry should become worship of God Almighty. And then your mind begins to race and you begin to think about how awesome and powerful God is. 
How, how incredible the holy God is that loves you and I. And as your mind begins to race, your faith should begin to rise. And with your faith rising, your lips can begin to be filled with wonder and worship, with thankfulness and gratitude. As, as your mind examines and your heart chases the character of God, as you explore the depth of God's love. But let's not just stop there because the story doesn't end in a moment of fear or fascination, but it continues on. Let me, let me lead you to the very next part as we're going through this. And now I gotta find my place. Oh, yay, yay. All right, well, I'm just gonna keep going here. Um, here it is. Not only are we overwhelmed by the fascination of God, but let me read you what happens very next. So he says this, right? He goes, woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. The angel comes and touches his lips. He's forgiven of sin. We're filled with fascination of God. And then the, the next verse, verse eight of Isaiah chapter six. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. There's this moment where you, are, where you are filled with the fear of God that becomes the fascination of God. And then we learn that our awe means that we begin to rely on God. He, he said, God, I'll, I'll, whatever you want, I, I'm yours. I'll, I'll obey you. Whatever you want me to do, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna trust you. God speaks, who shall I send? Who will go for me? He says, God, I'll do whatever you want. There's a sense of reliance on God. And interestingly, this is important because in the story of Isaiah, from this point on, the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah is looking for help. And they're looking to um, ally themselves with other nations. They're looking for someone else to step in and stick up against their bullies. And Isaiah's writing about all of these different nations that the, the nation of Judah is looking to for help. But in this moment, Isaiah says to them, I want you to look to a son who will be wonderful counselor, mighty God. I want you to rely on God who fights for you rather than looking to anyone or anything else. Stop trusting in other armies, stop looking to another nation, stop looking to your nation, stop looking inward and start trusting and relying on God for help. Who are you looking to, to defend you? Are you looking within? Eventually you're gonna to get to the end of yourself. Are you looking outward? Maybe you're looking to your spouse or a family member or your career or your financial stability. Maybe you're looking to a promotion or your own capacity to defend you. And the challenge that we get from Isaiah is that we cannot look to anyone else. We are, when we are awed by God, our awe drives us to rely on God, to trust him and him alone. Because when you trust God alone, you know that he is fighting for you. He is the defender of the weak. He looks out for those who fully rely on him. I, I love this quote. Actually, I'll, I'll give you two. I just think it really captures the heart of this story in Isaiah. If you go to the Westminster Abbey in England, there is a, a, a kind of a bust of a guy named John Murr who was known in his time as Lord Lawrence. And on his bust, there's a quote that says, he, he feared no man because he feared God so much. 
I love that picture of when we fear God, we have to fear no one. When I trust God, I can fully rely on him. Then I don't have to worry about the world around me. The Queen of Scotland, she made a comment that she feared the prayers of John Knox more than all of the armies of England. That's incredible. To get the attention of royalty, to say, I'm scared of how you pray because you clearly are someone that God listens to. Why? Why would God? Because John Knox clearly was relying on God. And, and I think that when we find ourselves desperately dependent on God, then we can find this final principle. We can discover this, which is that when we rely on God, then check it out. Isaiah continues to write, and we're going to jump ahead to Isaiah chapter 40, where he's writing and he, he's making this powerful point. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will, not grow he will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. And then this is what happens when you know God that way. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. What, what is the point of this? Awe means we rest in God. He is your hiding place. He is your comfort. When you feel bullied and intimidated, you know where you and I run? We run into the arms of a loving God who is mighty God, who is awesome in power, who when the angels sing about him, they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who when this king speaks, all other kings bow as dead men. Your almighty God who is fighting for you, he rides on the heavens like a horse. He comes with power and authority, all authority. He is awesome in victory. He defends the weak. He stands up for the poor and the broken. He gives rest to the weary. So wherever you find yourself right now, whatever bully has intimidated you, whatever situation is threatening you, if you will come to God and you will discover that he defends you because he is awesome, when you discover that your fear can either be placed in a God who is against you or through faith, your fear is born out of reverence because you know that there is a God who is fighting for you. Can I challenge you? Would you, for a moment, allow faith to fill your heart so that you put your trust in a God who is for you, a God who became one of us so he could fight for us? Maybe sin has bullied you, has left you hurting and broken. I would encourage you right now to put your faith in Jesus Christ allow his spirit to enter into your spirit, forgive you of sin, and defeat the bully of sin that is raging inside of you, give you victory over that guilt and shame, and then you have confidence knowing that God is fighting for you. If that's where you're at, would you take that moment right now, would you just begin to pray? Ask God to forgive you of sin. Welcome God's spirit into your spirit as you place your faith in Jesus, and then I would encourage all of us right now
If you believe in Jesus, would you allow the fear of God to drive you to respect him so deeply that you want to please no one but him? Would your heart be filled with a fascination so that your worry becomes worship? Would you right now commit to relying on God? And and as you rely on him, you can rest in him. Take a moment right now. And would you allow God who is awesome to become your defender? But that requires you to have a personal conversation with him. And I just believe that as you begin to talk with him, right where you're at, this place will become a place of worship. It can become a holy moment where you encounter the God who is above all gods, the king above all kings. Let this be your sacred place where you can encounter God personally. Would you take a moment, would you pray? And would you allow God to meet you right now? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.